Lord, we are so grateful that you are greater than our hearts. We, we don't love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We love ourselves better. We don't love you with all of our, our mind and all of our strength. But we love other things in this world like that. And you are greater than our hearts. Your grace is greater than our sinful condition. And so we live in that grace today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're coming towards the end of our series in this little book, Second Timothy. And we're now returning to the last chapter, which is chapter 4. In your pew Bibles, that's 996. And we're going to read the first five verses here. This very important charge that Paul offers to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So let's, as you find that, let's stand together. We'll read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's Word.
At this point, the kindergarten and first graders can be dismissed through the back doors. If you're new here to Christ Community, we typically are preaching through books of the Bible, and so it's very helpful to be able to see it in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to find one in front of you that you can look as we make our way through these five verses. Uh, courtroom dramas are consistently a very popular backdrop to television series. I mean, whether you go back as far as Perry Mason, which probably two people know who that is, uh, <laughs> and or you, you know, you liked Matlock and what was Matlock in the 80s or 90s, or Law and Order, wasn't that like five years ago? I don't even know what's on now. Um, but, I mean, you know, you, you could think of, you know, 10 or 12, maybe very secretly you're a Judge Judy fan. I mean, you never actually tell that to anyone because that would be a mark against your character, but you secretly sneak in or TiVo Judge Judy every week. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person that if you're flipping through the channels and you see uh, the scene from A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. You just, even though you could quote it, you've seen it 20 times, you stop and you watch that little intense scene. And I think one of the reasons why that's a popular backdrop is, is that intensity of the charge that happens when you get in a courtroom, that uh, one person stands up in this box and he's charged before the judge Will you or do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And there's some kind of uh, magnetic intensity to watching that unfold and somebody being charged and being on the stand. And really that's the backdrop to uh, chapter 4. As chapter 4 opens up, you might think of this courtroom scene and the Apostle Paul is standing before the judge, the judge of the living and the dead, and he's looking at Timothy. And Timothy isn't going to be in a, on a witness stand. Timothy is going to be behind a pulpit. And he's saying, hey, I want you to get back there and I'm going to give you this charge, Timothy. Do you swear to tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. That's essentially what's happening with this charge. Do you, do you promise, Timothy, whether it's in season or out of season, you're going to continue to tell the truth? Are you going to consistently do it with patience? Even when people who have been coming to your congregation start filtering out to other places because they really want to have what their itching ears want to hear. They, they have a view of what they want to hear, and you're not satisfying that with the Word of God, so they leak out into other locations. Are you going to continue to tell the truth? Are you going to stay sober-minded? Sober minded? In, in a society drunk on new and novelty, will you continue to say what's true? Will you endure suffering? even to the very end of your ministry. That's, that's the opening scene. That's the charge. See, the Apostle Paul is sitting uh, in Rome, and he's days or maybe weeks away from getting his head chopped off. And so he's, he's trying to urge Timothy in the letter, Timothy, this is the, we're in the last days. We, we don't have time for recreational preaching. We need somebody who's going to take the stand and week after week 
whether they're in season or where their congregation's in season, whether they're in season, out of season or their congregation is out of season, whether the truth is in season or the truth is out of season. We've got to have somebody who will stand in the box and always tell the truth because we're living in the last days. And I, I want you to be that person. And so that's Paul's charge. And as we examine the charge here in these first five verses, I just thought of it in these three category, categories. Who's in charge? What's the charge? And then why the charge? So verse 1, who, who is in charge? And then what is the charge that's given? And then why is this charge even delivered by the apostle himself to Timothy? So let's begin here in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. That's... that's setting a scene. The, the, this is the installation ceremony for Timothy. And Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, right before I give you this charge, I want you to look around and I want you to notice who's in attendance. It's, it's not just me, the apostle. It's not just your congregation. We've got somebody else in attendance here. It's the judge. The judge who's going to come back. The judge who's going to judge both the living and the dead. And I want you to see that. I want you to see who you're standing in front of. I mean, you're going to be somebody who's proclaiming the Word, and I want you to know the Word Himself, the author of the Word, is standing here, and He's watching. You are delivering His Word, and He's going to look at you and say, did you deliver it well? So let's be sure we know who's in attendance here. And so I thought about that and thought, well, what? This, that's a pretty sobering charge, is it not? Just to start out, hey, Timothy, let's make sure you know it's really not that important that I'm here. It's really not all that important that the congregation here. What's important is that God Almighty is here looking at you. That's what's important. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony. I mean, you're glad that the preacher's there and you're glad the congregation has come, but really you're making a covenant, right, in front of the Lord. That's the weightiness of that ceremony, and that's the weightiness of this right here. And so why is it that Paul, as true as it is, why would he draw this to Timothy's attention right away? What would, what would maybe be his reasons to... To say, Timothy, I want you to see this right out of the gate. This is something critical. And these are a few of the reasons I thought of. One is Timothy, as we've seen in other passages, seems to be timid. He, he seems to be the kind of person that right when you need leadership, he's shrinking back. And so you see it really in the first chapter when Paul says to Timothy, Hey, don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. I mean, right at the critical point when people are saying, I don't think that's the truth or that's the wrong way or I'm not following after you anymore. Don't shrink back at that very moment. Stand tall. Be a, be a leader. Keep preaching the word. And so Paul is trying to remind Timothy that as critical as his role is, Timothy, I want you to know ultimately you're not in charge. You're not going to judge anyone. You just preach the word. The judge is over here. You're in the witness stand. You're not on the judge's seat. And I think that's helpful for everybody. It's super helpful for me as a preacher. 
But I think it's helpful for anybody who's trying to get the gospel out, whether it's to their family or their community or wherever that is, to say, you know what, my role here is really very simple. It may be challenging, but I'm just trying to tell the truth. That's what I'm trying to be a witness to the truth. I don't need to judge somebody. That's going to be God's role. He's the one who's really in charge. He's the one who's going to change somebody's heart. And they may say later on, hey, Paul, you intersecting my life, that really changed my life. And what they mean is you were the tool that God chose to use to really change. Okay, fine, but really what happened, the person who's really in charge is God. And Paul wants to remind Timothy of that, that when when he's feeling like shrinking back, I want you to remember that God's in charge. I think another reason is he wants to remind Timothy that he's a herald and he's the delivery system, as I've said, to speak God's word. So God's here and you're just the delivery system. You're preaching the word. You are, Timothy, as the pastor, you are speaking for God. Preach is, in the Greek, a herald. You're, you're, you're running in and you're telling people this information. And so I want you to remember that God's here and you're a herald, so I don't, want you need, need, I don't need you to be concerned about your reception. I just need you to be concerned about the proclamation. So helpful. I just don't need you to be worried about the reception you're getting. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the proclamation. Are you getting the right word out? I don't want you to worry about being clever. I want you to worry about being clear. I don't want you to get, Timothy, I don't want you to get distracted by trying to measure success. Are you, are you being successful sort of according to the world standard? Because, you know what, God seems to have a, a completely upside-down vision of what success means. And how do we know that? This was the most successful and tragic event both at the same time. So, uh, Timothy, you don't need to worry about success. You don't need to define your success by how many people come or how many people get saved or how much whatever, however the world measures it. I'm not worried about that, Timothy, and I don't want you to be worried about it. I want you to be worried about just making a clear proclamation of the gospel. Timothy, I don't want you to rewrite my content. I'm listening. I said it. It doesn't need your help. I need you to deliver it for me. And so that is so critical in these days. We're not, I'm not standing up here trying to rewrite content. I'm trying to deliver the content. And that's what we need to be sure of when we're talking to people about the gospel as well. Because the Word of God is the power to change someone's soul. You don't have that power. God has that power. And if you're rewriting the content, guess what? No more power. You might be clever, you might be popular, but you don't have any power. So don't write out the power. The power is in the content. 
And what I need you to deliver is you deliver that content because it saves men's souls. And when you rewrite it, when you get in the way of it, there's a problem. And so I want you to remember God's standing here. He's in attendance. He's going to be the judge. Third reason I think Paul might have brought this up. And see, Timothy, he might come back in your lifetime. So he's going to judge you as the living. Or he might come back 2,000 years later. He'll judge you as the dead. But he's going to judge both the living and the dead. And he's going to judge whether you got the content right. James says this, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And so it's a sobering thing to stand behind a pulpit. It's a sobering thing to be a teacher. It's a sobering thing to sit in a coffee shop and be the delivery system. And so, Timothy, what you need to do is you need to handle the Word of God correctly. You need to cut a straight line. You need to help people see who they are and see God. That's what your job is. And so I want you to to broadcast to your congregation the perilous condition they're in. And I want you to make it as wide as you can the grace of God. That's what I want you to do. And so right from the beginning in verse 1, Paul Paul wants Timothy to notice before we get going forward with the charge, preach the word, notice who's in attendance. So what's the charge? Verse 2. Well, obviously the main charge is, is preaching, being a herald. We talked about that. But I want you to notice that Paul then sort of moves on and provides some definition here. Uh, he's not providing definition to the content. He's providing definition to the character of the preacher. Be, I want you to be ready in season and out of season. We happen to be a congregation. There's a lot of folks in the medical community, so every doctor understands this. Right? I mean, when you go to work, you've got to be ready. Hey, doctor, I've got this problem with my shoulder. Can you help me? That's in season. But what happens if you're a doctor? Well, you've got to take call, right? So I'm really at home. I'm watching a ball game. I'm out with my kids. I'm eating dinner. But then phone rings, and I can't say, gosh, it's, you know, a tough time for me. I'll get back to you later. I mean, no, you're on call. But see, it really even goes past that, does it not, for a doctor? Because you can say, well, I'm, I'm ready when I'm at work. I'm ready when I'm on call. But what happens? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. But how many have noticed, hey, there's a doctor in the room and you're at a party and you've had this shoulder problem and you kind of know him so you want to get to know him a little bit better so you fake a conversation with the person and then when there's a sort of the right time, you go, you know what, I don't, do you know anything about shoulders? Because I've got this... And can you somehow figure this out for me? Or my, I, on my toe, I've got this issue, and I don't want to take my shoe off, but can you help me? And is there any way you can write a prescription right now for me? And I don't know you. I've got a grandmother. I know she's three states away, but can I tell you what's happening with that person? And you can diagnose what's happening with my grandmother. I mean, I can get an amen from every doctor in the house, can I not? That's exactly what happens. Of course, I would not do something like that, but I know there are sinners in the crowd that would do something. This is just information I read in books and stuff. 
But see, you have to be ready. You, you, have to, you have to be ready all the time, Timothy. So Paul's telling Timothy, look, there's going to be different seasons. There are going to be some times that you feel like you're ready, you're on, you're, you're there. There's going to be some times that you just go, I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to be there right now. But that's, that's not your call. Your call is to be ready. If God's looking down the bench and he's looking for his workmen, remember that picture? He's saying... Hey, he's ready. He's prepared. He's ready to come in and, and take that shot right now. Now, there's lots of examples. I can give that in my own testimony. But one of the funniest moments was I had gone to the YMCA to lift weights. And so I showed up at some time in the middle of the day, and it just happened to be no one was there. So I was like, great, this is great, because then you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, taking a machine or whatever. And, and I was, you've ever been in these moves? You just don't want to interface with anybody. you just tired of talking. And when I walked in, I was like, yes. And so I, I, 10 minutes later, a, a college guy walks in. I wouldn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it's a big weight room, and he's over here, and I'm over here. But wouldn't you know, this sorry sap, he wants to stand next to me the whole time. And he's the kind of guy that can't quit having a conversation. Even though I'm giving all the social cues, would you shut your yapper right now? So he tells me this big problem, and I go, mm, yeah, well, that's it. That's all I'm giving him. And so this happens like four or five times. And I keep moving to the very odd end of the weight room, and he keeps circling around me. And so I'm, I'm at this one machine, and I was like, God... This guy, he's unloaded all these problems. He's got a problem with his parents. He's got a problem because he's graduated and he has no job. He's got a problem with the girlfriend he's living with who's about ready to kick him out. His dog ran away. His car engine light came on. I mean, it's like a country music song. You know, it's just one problem after another. So I'm on this little apparatus, and I make this little bet with God, and I say, God, I have put this guy off so cold, he could not possibly want to come back and have one more conversation. But if he does, I'm going to tell him the gospel. Well, here comes the guy. So he sits down, can I tell you one more thing? I was like, no, you cannot tell me one more thing. So he told me one more thing. I said, you want to know what my diagnosis is? Yes, I do. I said, I don't think you have Jesus Christ at the center of your life. And so you've got all these kinds of problems, but you have no central place except for yourself. And it's unwinding and you don't know where to go. And until you get him right in the center of your life, then you're going to have these problems over and over and over again the rest of your life. The guy never came back and had another conversation with me. I mean, I wish I could say we got down on the weight bench and we prayed for the Lord to, you know, and we didn't do that. But at least I got my workout in unencumbered. But you know, you've got to be ready. You don't know when the person's going to come your way. And you've got to say, hey, this, this may not be the time for me, but it's a time for them. And if it's a time for them, then it's time for you to step up and be that person to proclaim the truth about who God is. And so then Tim, Paul provides Timothy, notice in this verse, a kind of a tool belt when you're in season and out of season. Here's what you're going to need in your tool belt, Timothy, as a pastor. You're going to need to reprove people, which means to convince. You're going to, you're going to, sometimes people, they just need proof. I, need, I have this question. It doesn't seem to work out this way if I think about it this way. So can you just help me think about this? You're going to need to rebuke. You're going to 
have to say to people, you're going in the wrong way. I mean, if you can't say that, you're not going to be a good pastor. You're going to have to exhort people. I mean, you're going to have to come alongside. You're going to have to be the encourager. You're going to have to have all these things in your, in your tool belt. If you come to my house, I have a toolbox that has a hammer and a cell phone. Because if I can't fix it with my hammer, then I don't need to work on it. But, you know, we don't want to have that as our only tool when people come to us. I just give the hammer, I give the hammer, I give the hammer. Well, sometimes they don't need the hammer. They need something else. And so, as a person who's proclaiming the gospel, you have to have all these. John Stott says this, The preacher must be skillful in his use of all three approaches, intellectual, moral, emotional, You see, some people are tormented by doubts and need to be convinced by argument. Others have fallen into sin and need to be rebuked. Others are haunted by fears and need to be encouraged. God's Word does all this and more. I got to this point and thought, this is a pretty weighty charge, pretty intense scene. But in large part, it has to do with the person standing behind the pulpit. It's like a, a great sermon for me to hear from myself in some sense. And so I was asking, why, what, what's the application to people who aren't pastors? And the answer, I believe, is that the, the charge to the pastor should clarify for the congregation what's the most important thing for them to hear. See, when you, when you hear the charge to the pastor to preach the word, it should clarify for the congregation what you must have above any other thing. It, when, when you come to church, you should regularly experience the word of God being preached. And preached in a way that sometimes gives you proof. Yes, that's, I needed that. Sometimes it's going to be rebuking. I, I needed to hear that. Sometimes it's going to be encouraging, but you've, you've got to come to a church who's doing that over and over and over again. And so whether you're preparing to go to college, whether you're in college, whether you're new to town, I'm not encouraging you to necessarily stay at Christ Community Church. I'm encouraging you to find a church where the pastor is going to stand up, and whether he's in season or you're in season, You're going to hear over and over and over the Word of God, the most critical thing, the one thing you must have this morning above anything else is the Word of God preached to you. It's not the music. It's not whether there are other single people in the crowd. It's not whether they have good programs for the kids. And I'm not putting any of those things down, but that's not the critical component. That is not the one thing you must have this morning. The one thing you must have this morning is you must have a clear proclamation of God's Word. You need that more than anything else, even if you don't think you need it. That's the critical piece. And so preachers must preach the Word because the people need the Word more than anything else. Well, finally, let's look at why the charge We see that God's in charge. We've looked at the charge itself. And then you can see a transition here in verse 3. 4 is the word that introduces the charge. I mean, I've given you this charge. And 4 is, okay, now I'm telling you why I've given you the charge. It's for these following reasons. 
And here uh, the reason is because of the character, the culture Timothy's going to be speaking into. And just let's listen to the description that the time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching. But they're going to have itchy ears. They're going to be hungry for what's new. They're going to be hungry for what's novel. And they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People will not endure sound teaching. People will turn away from the truth. Why? Why is there such hostility to the message in the Bible? Why will people turn away and wander off in a different direction? I think the main reason is, and there are more than one, but I think the main reason is because the gospel had such a massive displacing effect on your life. You see, when you read the Bible, what you find out right away is that you're not at the center. You're not the most important person on stage. You're not the sun in the orbiting, and everything revolves around you. You you get totally displaced. And you see it in chapter 3, verses 2 and 4. We said this a couple of weeks ago. What happens is that people come into the Bible, and they're really lovers of themselves. They're not lovers of God. And what they want to hear is they want to hear stuff about themselves. They don't want to hear about God. And one reason for the hostility the initial hostility is the gospel is because we have a love affair. And we have a love affair with ourselves. And nobody really wants to be told that. Nobody really wants to be reminded of that. My daughter and wife have one. My three older sisters had one. A little makeup mirror. You got the regular mirror on one side and you turn it over, and what do you have? Times 10 million or something. I mean, it's terrible. Why would you want to have one of these mirrors? And so your pore that you cannot see looks like a big pothole on your face, right? If you have a blemish, it's like Mount St. Helens has now appeared on your forehead. Nobody wants that mirror. Nobody wants to see that that's what they really look like. So you cover it up. You turn that mirror back around and you put on the little side lights of evening or dusk or something. You know, So you can't really see that well, all that stuff. Nobody really likes the surgical light times 10 million. Nobody wants to see their face like that. But when you come into the gospel, when you come into the Bible, it's times 10 million. And you don't look good. You and I don't end up looking good in the Bible. We feel exposed when that happens. And when you feel exposed, you feel angry. I remember having heard the gospel a lot, but never really being in touch with who I really was. And when I began to sort of have a regular diet of this, my first reaction was anger. And then what did I do? 
Self-justification. I mean, I quickly went into that mode. <laughs> that stupid preacher. He doesn't know how great I am. You see what was happening? I was doing it. I was saying, hey, I'm really not that bad. And he kept saying, no, you are. In fact, you're a lot worse than you think. And so it's, it's painful when you really hear the truth. But if you really don't hear that truth, you are going to miss the grace of God. You're going to miss it. And so Timothy's got to turn the surgical lights on by proclaiming the word. But Paul is telling Timothy, and he really hits the target here with his announcement, like he would miss the target. Um, I don't want to say that. Well, yeah, he missed the target in the next verse, but he really hit it here. He, he hits the target all the time. But listen to what he says. He says, Timothy, when you turn that spotlight on of the Word of God, people will be angry. They will turn away. They will, and then listen to what it says, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and wander off into myths. You hear what he's saying? People are going to decide what they want to hear and then go find somebody to tell them what they want to hear. People are going to say, this is what I believe the truth is about the world, about myself, about my reality, whatever that is. I get to decide, meaning I'm at the very center and then I've got to find somebody who will orbit around me and continually feed me. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. And if I change my mind, guess what? I've got to click that person off. I've got to grab onto somebody else. Uh, you, oh, you're right. You're right. The examples of how this happens are endless. But because you see it so often on television, I think this is really the fundamental flaw in the health and wealth gospel. Who doesn't want to be healthy? Who doesn't want to be wealthy? And you say, I believe God wants me to have both of these things. So you will pay for somebody who will tell you that. The suffering and sacrifice gospel is not going to be on the television. It's not a big money maker. But see, that's the truth. Paul closes here in verse 5. But as for you, that little phrase we've seen, Timothy, this is this what's going to happen. I'm telling you, I'm helping you see it. I'm giving you this charge, and I want you to know whether it's the next year or five years down the road or ten, ten years down the road, this is, we're going to see this play out in your congregation. You're going to see it play out in your culture. But as for you, you be sober-minded. You see, people are going to be intoxicated with themselves. People are going to be intoxicated with novelty or what's new. And they're going to pay people to 